with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, a friend of mine, a man who has really done things in the last five years in terms of opening up Saudi Arabia, and I think especially what you've done for women. I'm seeing what's happening. It's like a revolution in a very positive way, and I want to just uh, thank you on behalf of a lot of people, and I want to congratulate you. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 14 of The Middle Unplugged. I'm Anthony Weiner. A break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. So another week in Washington and just yesterday another revelation about classified documents. This time it's former Vice President Pence. I called it. Go back and listen to just last week's episode where I talked about the proliferation of classified documents. This is going to be kind of the new thing. All of the cool kids are going to go and look in their files, look in their boxes, and they're going to decide that, hey, maybe I have some of these documents too because there are so many of them. If you're interested in my longer form take than that, go listen to last week's episode. But I have not been piling on anyone about this because I know there's more of it to come. Congress, by the way, getting down to work. They're assigning their committee assignments. Our friend Congressman Santos got two of them. A lot of pearls were clutched about that, a lot of complaints. He got the Science and Technology Committee and the Small Business Committees. And I know people are saying, well, why does he get any committees and he's got two influential committees? These are the two least desired committees in all of Congress. I mean, basically the way it breaks down is this. The A committees, the super top ones that you usually only have a seat on this committee and no others, Ways and Means, they do taxes. You can understand why that would be a desirable committee. Appropriations, they decide who gets what in the federal budget. You can see why that becomes basically one committee takes the money in and one committee is out. And the third one is the Energy and Commerce Committee. That's the committee I was assigned. And that is one that is desirable because it takes in so much jurisdiction. In fact, there used to be a chairman, John Dingell of Michigan, and as soon as you walked into the committee room, there was a picture of the earth photographed from the moon. And when people would ask him, what's that a picture of? He would say, that's the jurisdiction of this committee. Basically, everything fell into that. I did a lot of healthcare work on that. So those are the A committees. And then there are the B committees, the ones that you make a decision to be on, and then you spend time on there and gain seniority. Judiciary is one, transportation, educational labor, foreign affairs, which doesn't well the foreign affairs. Oversight, which in past has been kind of a lesser prominent committee, but now it's gotten a little more gravitas because there's not much lawmaking going on. So that's one of them. Homeland Security, banking, agriculture, armed services, and budget. And then there's like these C committees. Energy, science and technology is one of them that I told you Santos got on small business. And the third is Veterans Affairs. Veterans Affairs is, you know, really just has one agency under their control. And and so those three are the C committees. There are some committees that are special committees that you kind of those are like speaker-chosen committees that are considered kind of procedural committees. The Ethics Committee is one of them. The Ethics Committee is the only committee that's divided evenly. The Rules Committee, that's the committee that I talked about in the past episodes that decides what goes to the floor and when, how those are speaker and minority leader loyalists. House Administration, that's basically how the place gets run. Everything from, you know, who gets a desk, you know, who gets the carpet that they want, things like that. The running of the day-to-day of the House Administration Committee. Not exactly a glamour committee, but one that members 
You know, you always want to have a good relationship with the chairman of the House Administration Committee in case you ever have a problem in your office that needs to get fixed and the wait list is too long, that kind of thing. And then the Intelligence Committee. That's gonna, we're going to talk about that one a little bit later in Listener Mail because we discuss a few Democrats who might be kicked off of that committee. And you can always create other committees. And we saw a little bit of that as kind of cooperation briefly broke out on the, the House floor around one such committee. And that's our number of the week. Each week I tried to take one number and we pivot off of that to bring some context to things. And this, this time the number is 146. That's how many Democrats voted with Republicans to create a select special committee on the strategic competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. This is a special select committee, kind of like the January 6th committee. It only lasts for one Congress unless it's extended. And 365 to 65 was the vote to create that committee with that long name. And the reason we got that much cooperation is that China has become kind of a political Rorschach test where both sides see the dark intentions of the Chinese. They are kind of our unifying enemy du jour, kind of more so than Russia was, you know, because Russia has found some support on the fringes of the Republican Party. The left takes a look at China and sees the forced labor concentration camps where more than a million Uyghur Muslims are enslaved. The right sees the font of its fears about socialism and communism and the perceived germ warfare of COVID-19. Both sides, as I've talked about before, kind of see the threat of TikTok and social media and the spying and things like that. But it's interesting that this coalition has kind of formed because I was wondering what we can learn from this coalition of interests that got the Republicans together so early on. What is it that we can kind of take away from that to see if there might be possibilities for those of us who believe that there is still space in the middle to govern? Well, for one, it may mean that anti-China legislation of all sorts has a pretty good working group already formed around that committee's broad support. And when it comes time to look at those other things we talked about, investigating the origins of COVID, for example, and the problems with TikTok and information gathering by the Chinese, that kind of thing, it might mean that Democrats and Republicans are going to be able to work together, and that's an optimistic note. But I also started thinking that there might be other areas of foreign policy that could create a center of gravity that unifies the left and the right. Maybe not the whole place, but kind of has the effect of getting the middle of the Congress working together. I mean, the war in Ukraine has seemed to be that, right? I mean, as even begrudgingly, Republicans have, who have said, listen, we've got to, we're supporting what Joe Biden has been doing. Opposition to China, support for Israel is another place that there's broad bipartisan support. But I want to offer for your consideration one other place, and that is... Saudi Arabia. You know Saudi Arabia. 15 and 19 of the homicide bombers on September 11th came from Saudi Arabia, were trained by the Saudi Arabians, had a support network set up. They, You know they slaughtered Jamal Khashoggi, a U.S. resident, at their embassy in Turkey in 2018. You know they fund al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, now the Taliban, that they're basically, their strategy in dealing with worldwide Muslim extremist terrorism has been to basically pay it off to go somewhere else. They export Wahhabism, this form of Islamic teachings that spread hate towards the United States and towards Israel. They literally kill, you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community within their country. 
there was a Saudi student at Leeds University who had returned home to the kingdom after a holiday and found herself sentenced to 34 years in prison for having a Twitter account and for following and retreating dissidents and activists. You know, you heard that cold open of Donald Trump famously thanking the crown prince on behalf of women. You know, I don't think we should go down that that path. You know, Biden has been a mixed bag. For one thing, on the campaign trail against when he talked about Saudi Arabia, he said he was going to treat them as the rogue state that they are. Um, he did visit the kingdom. But on the other hand, he has started a process that every president from Bush to Obama did not do. And that has begun an assessment to declassify, there's that word again, documents about the Saudi role in September 11th. And a lot of victims' family groups have lauded him for doing that. They had concerns like I did about him visiting the kingdom. But, you know, I think that there is, you know, sign that Biden is going to be tougher on the Saudis, and that's good to hear. Now, we have plenty of, I would say, bad players on the other side. Jared Kushner taking $2 billion of what is essentially blood money. And, you know, it, it is still 20 years since September 11th, and the Saudis are fighting tooth and nail to prevent any accountability or any responsibility. And we don't know much more than what in the public domain about what happened those on September 11th than we did then. But so what is that? But what's new? Well, after getting away with kind of literal murder, the Saudis are kind of now in the middle of what can be called a charm offensive in the form of a new golf league. It's called the Live League, L-I-V. I don't know why it's called that, the Live. And it is an effort to compete with the PGA, which is this other golfing organization. And it's funneled what can only be called bribes in the form of obscenely high fees and for these top golfers to appear in their events. And this is a Saudi-funded thing. And it's been funded to the tune of about $800 million so far. And it is charitably been called sport washing, this idea of using sports to kind of make your country seem more welcoming and get you some positive press. We saw this with Qatar in the recently played World Cup. Now, even though they have some of the big names in golf who have agreed to play in their competitions, they're constantly hunting for credibility. It seems like that's what it is that they're after. And in addition to the players, some leaders have lent them support despite protests by the 9-11 families and others. They just announced their 2023 schedule, by the way. And there are three Trump courses that are hosting their events. I mean, no doubt for millions of dollars. By the way, the PGA, the incumbent golf organization, decided that after January 6th, they would no longer permit Trump properties to host it. So this is a sports story, right? Well, you know, no, it's really not. This is an effort by a rogue outlaw nation to get back into the community of civilized nations by buying credibility. And this is one thing that Democrats and Republicans seem to agree upon. And so what can be done about it? Well, remember that I mentioned that they spent $800 million on this so far. And, well, they had revenues of zero. And we found this out because they are suing the PGA for antitrust or whatever it is. And in, in some of the depositions, some of the materials, this is what came out. They had revenues of zero. So up to now, what is the $800 million buying? And it's buying a PR campaign. And the rub is that U.S. laws prohibit foreign governments from attempting to influence domestic politics. I mean, they can go out and hire people 
to advocate on their behalf, but there's very strict you know, reporting requirements. One of the things Hunter Biden's been accused of is not filing the proper documents. One of the things Manafort went to prison for is that he was lobbying on behalf of Russia. I don't know who was it, Russia or Ukraine. I don't remember. And they didn't file the proper things. And so, so what can be done about this? What can be done about this? And so Congressman Chip Roy, a right winger from Texas, about whom I agree with practically nothing, he was one of the holdouts against McCarthy, is asking that exact same question. And he's making an argument that I find interesting, and that since these players are all being asked at every press conference to essentially defend this live and defend the Saudis who are paying them, this amounts to unregulated influence purchasing. They're basically putting these golfers for a lot of money. I have no empathy, no sympathy for these golfers. They're getting paid a ton of money. To then go out and at every press conference, they're being asked the question. Basically, they're they're doing the job of the Saudis by saying things like, oh, there are lots of bad countries. They're no worse and things like that. And he, Chip Roy, has asked the Justice Department to investigate this to make the argument that this is essentially a lobbying campaign. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but the political implications are what I'm interested in. And just as the Chinese are a unifying bad guy for this Congress, perhaps the Saudi, the Saudis are the next. And when I was in Congress, this was an issue for those of you who are unfamiliar with my record. I would offer annual amendments to the Defense and State Department funding bills to make sure that not one dime of funding goes to the Saudis. And frequently there was a handful of money to go into each of these in each of these budgets. And the reason is one of the ways we define who an ally is or anyone we have financial aid to or provide aid to, even though they're rich, automatically gets treated as an ally nation when having arms sales and things like that. Well, starting in 2005, I did the first one of these amendments and we lost narrowly. By the time I left in 2011, not only did the votes prevail, but I got a majority of both House, Democrats, and Republicans to stand up against the Saudis. They are not popular players. And perhaps as we look for reasons to be optimistic after a time of really pitched partisanship and after we looked at kind of some of the things that happened going back 30 years ago, this weekend on my radio show, The Middle, on Saturdays from 2 to 3, we named Bill Clinton the mascot of our program because we went back and looked at what happened in 1993 when he got elected. And then in 1994, an overwhelming Republican majority got elected. And from there a lot of kind of good things for the country happened because Bill Clinton looked for the middle and trying to do things. Sometimes he got things right, sometimes he got things wrong. But looking at that as an analogous situation for Joe Biden, he has now a hostile Republican House of Representatives, the Senate is still Democratic. If he wants to get things done, you might see him tack to the middle and try to meet some Republicans there. And the behavior of the Saudi government, the unpopularity of their posture, the fact that they represent no American values, leads me to think that Democrat and Republican alike, where they might not be able to find common ground on domestic things, might be able to find common ground on sanctioning the Saudis, holding them accountable, opening up some of the classified documents that show their responsibility, including the 28 pages that were collected and published by the CAA, but no one else was allowed to see about the Saudi responsibilities for 9-11. So that's the middle issue of the week, and that's my aspiration. When we come back... We're going to do a little bit of listener mail, and it's got some S's in there, Santos, Swalwell, and Schiff, right after this break. And welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. Every week on The Middle, the radio show, we get callers who call in and 
and make their views known. This past week, you might want to go download it at the Red Apple Podcast Network. My brother called in and gave me a hard time, of all things. But here on the podcast, what we do is we take some of the mail that comes in to wienerwabc at gmail.com or at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, or the Facebook page that we have. And we dip into that mailbag. Sometimes we go to Twitter and find just random people saying things. This time, it's an email from Deborah G. You keep talking about Santos. Why do they let liars like Adam Schiff and spies like Swalwell on the Intelligence Committee? Well, to be honest, I had to look this one up. It has come up once or twice on the radio show, and each time I've asked the caller to tell me exactly what these two had done wrong, the Schiff lies and Swalwell spy stuff, it still isn't all that clear. It's not even clear that listeners know about this. They've just been told about it a lot, and so this was an exercise for me as well. But before we, we go down the fact-checking on this to try to figure out where the truth lies, as I mentioned earlier about the Santos appointments, unlike other committees, the Speaker can veto appointments to the Intelligence Committee, to the select special committees the Speaker can. In the other committees, in order for someone to be removed from them, it has to be a vote of the whole House. The, the, basically, the leaders get to put who they want on those other standing committees. And McCarthy has said he will veto these two, Swalwell, Schiff of California and Swalwell of California. And it seems that Hakeem Jeffries, who makes these recommendations slash appointments, he says he seems to want he seems to want this fight because he's gone ahead and appointed them anyway. Swalwell, you should know, was supposed to rotate off. I think there's four terms in the, the House. The Democrats have a rule four terms, and then you're off to rotate. You always have different people on the Intelligence Committee. Since Schiff was the ranking member, he has a permanent waiver. He can stay there. So I went back and I tried to figure out what are these accusations. And it seems that the Schiff's crime was leading to the—I mean, let's, let's back up a little bit. First of all, why is this becoming an issue? It's becoming an issue because two years ago, the House Democrats, with the help of some Republicans, not a lot, removed Marjorie Taylor Greene and a guy named Paul Gosar from their committees because they did some outrageous things. In the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene, she espoused these crazy extremist beliefs and— posted statements approving of violence against prominent Democratic politicians. And there were some Republicans that voted with Democrats to remove her from her committees. Paul Gosar, similar type of craziness. He used official resources to create an animated video depicting the killing of AOC and violence against President Biden. Well, McCarthy at the time and during the campaign said, well, payback is going to be a bitch. I'm going to get back at you for this. They've put those two back on their committees, but now they're coming after Schiff. And the question is, well, what is it that Schiff and Swalwell did and how does it compare? Well, the one way it compares is that the accusations of Schiff are much more vague and nebulous than they were against Green and Gosar. Like they haven't done anything in particular that seems to be getting at this. I mean, I guess to start with Schiff, you know, McCarthy has said he lied to the American public. And it seems that seems to be about whether Schiff knew who the whistleblower was that triggered the impeachment. I don't know if you guys all remember this. You know, there was a whistleblower who reported on that so-called perfect call. And Schiff has said repeatedly he didn't know who that person was and has worked very hard to keep that person's identity Quiet. Eventually, right-wing media published the name of an intelligence officer. So he says, flatly, I don't know who it was, and I didn't know who it was, but that seems to be the lie that they're talking about. 
it doesn't seem like a heck of a lot. It doesn't seem like a heck of a lot. It seems that his real crime was that he headed up the impeachment that made the, the Republicans didn't like and that Donald Trump didn't like. Swalwell, at least his case, at least has a little more about it, but it doesn't have that much more that sticks to Swalwell. So in his case in 2020, Axios reported that they had found out that a suspected Chinese intelligence officer was trying to get close to politicians in California and had succeeded in bundling money, no illegal contributions as it turned out, bundling money and even got to know Swalwell back when he was a council member back in Dublin, California years ago. She also, this person, this so-called this spy, volunteered for Ro Khanna's campaign, held a fundraiser for Tulsi Gabbard, other people, Judy Chu, these different members of Congress from California. But the thing is, in that story, there's, it never says anything that Swalwell did wrong. Yes, it does say that this Fang was a bundler for his campaign. There's no sign, of I said, of any illegal contributions. There was like, at one point, this Fang person placed an intern in Swalwell's Washington office. But, you know, this idea that, oh, and, and also the article did say something about Fang having sexual relations with two Midwestern mayors, but there's no suggestion anywhere in the story of Swalwell doing anything inappropriate. And the FBI has kind of said that he's been cooperative and no suspicion of wrongdoing. And to make it even weirder is that McCarthy keeps saying, I've gotten secure. Here's how I say exactly. If you got the briefing that I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. Well, there have been two Republican speakers since that time. And both of them, neither one of them has said they got any briefing that said that Swalwell was a problem. So it seems a little bit like a tempest in a teapot, just an attempt to drum something up. But I want to tell you this, when I did go and look this up, Right-wing crazy media is all over this. Swalwell this, shift that, and none of it gets back to actual anything you can sink your teeth into. There's like 10 or so fact-checking things that I read through, and none of them report that there was anything that is smoking gun style, like posting a Facebook page of killing another member of Congress or anything. like. That. Now, there's one other person that's out there that they say they want to remove from the committee. Remember, I just said intelligence committee members can't be removed uh, I can be removed at the whim of the speaker. Now, with Representative Ilan Omar of Minnesota, she's going to be on the Foreign Relations Committee, and the Republicans have said they're going to kick her off. Now, to do that, they have to have a vote. Now, she—I don't like her. You know, she said anti-Semitic things. I think she's an anti-Semite, whatever. She represents a heavy Muslim district. That's not a crime. In a way, maybe she's just doing politics— that case is a little bit different because there are things that she said that are very, very troubling. You can argue it's in the bounds of political discourse. I kind of disagree. She's apologized for some of the things that she said. But that'll be a little bit different because then the whole House has to vote to remove her, and there's a chance that they won't have the votes to do that if a few Republicans decide that that's not the thing to do. But she might get removed. So that's the answer to that question on why it is that they, let they you know, as Deborah G says, why would they let liars like Schiff and spies like Swalwell on the Intelligence Committee? It does get back to the Santos thing. And I will say this. I have chosen my words carefully with the Santos thing. I don't think there's a lot that I can add past what I have. He's a duly elected member. He is being investigated. I don't see any reason why he should not get committees and by not be treated like a duly elected member. Let the process play out. If someone wants to put it to a vote, which they may do just to put Republicans in a tough spot, then so be it. But I think that one of the things that's happening is, as with all this thing, what about ism? 
when Democrats, you know, want to make a comparison, they say, look, you know, you can't even find a single thing that Schiff actually lied about. And if lies are the standard, you've got to remove Santos. So there's a little bit of that going on. So that's what we've got this week on The Middle Unplugged. Thank you so much for joining in. If you'd like to spread the word about this, you can share it with friends. You can make a comment on some podcasting platforms. I also encourage you to go to the Red Apple Podcasting Network, which has downloads available of The Middle, my Saturday show, Left versus Right, the one I do immediately following with Curtis Lewa. And any time that you share that, any time you subscribe, it helps get the word out. And next week we will be back. And I thank you so much. And this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.